Welcome to Hormone Health Podcast, brought to you by Georgia Hartman and Chloe Sheehan. This podcast is an extension of Hormone Health Studio, which is our naturopathic clinic based here in Newcastle and online. We're just two naturopaths who love a laugh, coffee, croissants, and conversations about real people with real health concerns. Nothing's off limits. We're here to educate you on what's happening in your body, share emerging research, and debunk buried health misconceptions. So sit back and let us do the talking. Welcome back, Chloe. Season two, Hormone Health Podcast, here we come. I feel like a Kardashian when you say that. (laughs) I like it. Season two, Hormone Health Podcast. We have got a really exciting season of podcasting. Does the season go for a year? Oh, let's not. Let's do a six-month rental period. (laughs) Let's see. But we do. We have so many exciting guests who will be joining us, uh, ranging all different backgrounds, professions. Topics. So many. So... Rest assured that we have got a good sort of listening for for you guys over the coming weeks, over the coming months. Um, But we are back in clinic. We have had our break. Are we rested? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I said to Stephen on his first day of work, I said, how do you feel? Like, do you feel rested after your break? He goes, I didn't need a holiday. Oh, okay, (laughs) champion. Such a classic Stephen response, isn't it? Um, but I think, it, you know, holidays are a little different when you have toddlers. It's yeah. like you look for extra sets of hands and when you've got them, it's great. And when you don't, you think, oh, my goodness. I think we messaged each other like the day before starting back. I was like, I can't believe we've got to go to work tomorrow. I know. I know. And I said, do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> but for me, luckily, my nausea and vomiting has completely gone. I'm scared that I'm going to jinx it, but... I'm feeling like a brand new person and I'm ready to sort of get started. And it's so nice to see like our clients from last year and also meet new people too. Yeah, absolutely. And so today, who have we got on? We spoke with a lovely lady named Lauren and she is a Sydney-based midwife. She also runs One Mama Midwifery Antenatal Classes. Um, She is going to, she speaks to us all about her experience with cesareans Um, She has had four caesareans. Her last caesarean was maternally assisted, so she talks us through that. Um, But we pick her brain about everything in terms of preparation for pregnancy, all throughout pregnancy, labour, birth, postpartum, with a specific emphasis on caesareans. Um, We talk to her about her favourite postpartum tights. We talk to her about recovery post-caesarean. She's got a really great resource on um, VBACs. And I think the most fascinating piece of information from this chat was when we asked her about what she wished all mums knew going into pregnancy, mm. birth and postpartum. Yeah, it's a great listen for anyone who's entering pregnancy, who's heading towards labour, birth, postpartum, anyone you know, whether they're planning a vaginal birth or whether they're planning a cesarean. This is going to be relevant. Yeah. yeah really great information so sit tight and enjoy let's jump in Today we are chatting with Lauren Brenton, an endorsed midwife and mum of four. Lauren has had four caesareans, with the last one being a maternal assisted caesarean. She has completed both a bachelor and a master's of midwifery and is dedicated to improving 
birth outcomes through her one mama midwife antenatal classes. So no guesses to what we're chatting to Lauren about today. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I personally am so excited. I know you are too, Chloe, but I think I'm a little bit more excited to speak to you, Lauren. Um, I've had a cesarean section, not four, um, but I am so ready to Pick your brain. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So <laughs> we'd love to know first off, what made you decide to become a midwife? How did you get into the field? So I actually was studying vet science. So went to uni, was studying vet science and then fell pregnant with my son unexpectedly at um, the very young age of 18. So that was a big life-changing moment in more ways than one, as you can imagine. So mm-hmm. I went through the pregnancy, had him via cesarean and afterwards I just knew like it was just almost like a light switch moment like hang on a minute this is exactly where I'm supposed to be and this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. So I enrolled like I just had this tiny little baby and then I enrolled in midwifery and started when he was only eight weeks old. So wow. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Looking back, I'm like, why did I do that? But, you know, that passion (laughs) was there. So, yeah, that's what made me want to be a midwife. And was your first birth experience one that you could either say retrospectively was still positive um, or could you explain that, your first birth? Yeah, so I definitely thought it was positive. I mean, I was so young that if you'd asked me what a negative birth was, I probably would never have been able to tell you. Mm. Anyway. So from as much as I knew, and I knew nothing, it was a good birth. I was happy. Um, you know, I had this beautiful, healthy baby. And like, obviously there are bits where I look back and I think, well, I would have changed that or I would have done this differently now having that knowledge behind me. But at the time I didn't know any better and I was definitely happy with how it all went. I'm still caught on you starting studying at eight weeks postpartum. I think eight weeks postpartum, I was like, I don't know, maybe having a shower. (laughs) (laughs) But I think a lot of that actually came with the pressure of feeling like I had to do something. You know, you have so many people when you fall pregnant young, people going, you've ruined your life. You're not going to make anything of yourself. So I think it was me proving people actually know I I am still going to be something and do something and help people in some way. And plus you said you had that passion or you had that fire that was lit inside you and that can be the biggest motivation. Definitely. And then so there's three more babies. Can you walk us through your journey then with studying midwifery, being a mom, growing your family? Yeah, definitely. So I had my first Mason by cesarean. He was breached, so bottom first, um, and there were a few other complications. So I had a private OB and he suggested a cesarean section. So that's what we did. Um, I then obviously started studying midwifery, learned a lot, um, and I did all of my training up at a big tertiary hospital here in Sydney. So I feel like I saw all ends of the spectrum and everything, which was a really great way in preparing me for becoming a midwife. Um, I then fell pregnant with my second daughter. I said, well, she's my only daughter, my second baby. um, When I was going into my third year. So again, I was determined. I was like, no, I'm not taking any time off. I just want to finish this degree. I want to be done and I want to be out working. So I think I had from August, she was born in August. I had from August until uni went back in March off. 
um, and then went back after that to finish my final year. So that was, again, just another time where it was kind of all go, 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 but definitely worth it. So with her, I'd planned for a vaginal birth after a cesarean, which I know that we're going to talk about today. Um, but unfortunately that wasn't successful for me. And I think for me, obviously being a midwife and knowing all of the different options and knowing that it was something that I was happy to give a go and I wanted to give a go, but at the end of the day, I knew if it doesn't work out, I'm not going to be disappointed in myself. So I don't feel like I regretted anything that happened in that birth. I feel like I was so well supported, so well educated and, yeah, I was just really happy with how her birth went. And that's really important to hear. I think a lot of people, whether it's their first or second or however many, go into birth with potential expectations of themselves in in a situation that they can't really control. So to hear how much of your mental health is is a big part of birthing and postpartum as well is, is important. Yeah, definitely. It's so important. And I think the only thing that really gave me that reassurance was knowing, well, I know that I've done everything I can to prepare. You know, I've educated myself. I've done all of the textbook things that you should do. And it just, it hasn't worked out. And at the end of the day, I'm safe and happy and my daughter's safe and happy. So that, yeah, was the main thing for me at the end of the day. Amazing. And then your third and fourth? If you don't mind me going back, was your second a breach as well or was there any? No, she was down, ready to go. Yeah, Um, But, yeah, complications came up during like towards the end and then um, when they were trying to induce me, things came up. So they they called it and said, no, Mm. she's better out than in at this moment. We don't, we can't keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Did you finish your did you finish your midwifery degree? I did. I yeah. did finish my degree and um went on to work as a midwife, which I still am working as a midwife and I just love it so so much. Um I work now at a different hospital to that big busy tertiary one. I'm at a smaller private hospital, so it's very different. Um and it's very close knit. It's like a family. It's a really, really beautiful place to work. Um, and that's where I had my third and my fourth baby. So with the third, it's funny because there were so many different things that kind of came up, you know, just little things like, oh, can I have, because I knew I was having a planned cesarean then. And I was like, oh, can I have the screen down to watch? And they were like, no, that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) And then fourth time around, I was like, no, okay. I felt like something was missing. I want to be more involved. You know, I'm I'm with all of these women all the time giving birth and they get that beautiful first moment where, you know, they reach down, they pull their baby up straight onto their chest. And I was like, I just, I just want that. I didn't get that. I haven't gotten that with any of them. And it just honestly felt like there was something missing. And so off I went, you know, researching maternal assisted cesareans. And I said to a few at a work function I said oh this is what I'm going to do and I showed them a video and I said this is what I'm going to do at, at, for my next birth I wasn't even pregnant at this time and they were like that's ridiculous why would you want to do that that like really yeah, I like, was gonna say is this something that's mostly accepted or do you have to push for it no no so it's not it depends really as to where you are as to whether it's accepted or not so it's mm. now becoming more widely accept, accepted but being 
relatively new and, you know, cesareans are obviously in operation and they're trying to keep it sterile and avoid in- infections and things like this. So it's it's definitely a new topic coming in and a new way to birth that is growing in popularity but still isn't as accepted as I wish it was. And there are some that are completely against it. Um, so I eventually got, you know, once I got pregnant, I started talking more and more and I said I'd just kind of said, this is what I'm doing, um, which was the benefit of having a baby where I was working. They obviously knew me and respected me. And I just was adamant. I'm like, this is what I'm doing. Like I, I'm doing this. So you either get on board or I'm just going to do it anyway. So um, mm. really pushed and advocated. And it came to me actually explaining, hey, this isn't because I it's a fad or because, you know, it looks fun to do. I I explained, you know, I felt disconnected during my births. I want that moment that everybody else gets, that we as midwives get to be a part of for everyone else. Why can't I have that for my birth? And it was once I was able to explain the reasoning why that everyone jumped on board then and were like, oh, okay, like she's not just being funny or ridiculous or coming up with these weird things. It's actually for a purpose and it actually means a lot. So yeah, it came down to that. Um, it came down to my educator at the time saying, all right, let's sit down. Let's find other hospitals that do it. Let's contact them, get their policies, figure out if what policy works for us and write our own policy. So I wrote the policy, emailed it to her. She got it all um, like approved. And obviously my OB was a really big supporter in that journey and getting things approved and on board from the anesthetics and the theatre side as well. So yeah, once it was once it was a yes, then it was quite smooth sailing from there, but it was quite hard to advocate to have that in the first place. And was this an assumption that you would be having a fourth cesarean or was this a planned cesarean? So it was a planned cesarean. Yeah. So I made the choice with baby number three that I was going to have a planned cesarean. And then again, with baby number four was I, adamant I was going to have another cesarean by that mm-hmm. point. And could you share to our listeners that don't know what a maternal assisted cesarean section is or looks like, can you kind of walk us through what that journey was for you? Definitely. Probably should have done that at the start. So <laughs> yeah, no, it's in it. it's so easy, I guess, if you've, like, you know, with social media, you might be able yeah. to see those certain things, but a lot of people might not even know that, that it's an option. Yes, yeah. So what it is, it is where the woman um, who's giving birth is fully surgically scrubbed. So you would get your epidural or spinal put in, you then are assisted to lie down on the table, you have the special surgical scrub on your hands, you wash your hands, they put a gown on you, some gloves on you, and then you lie down as normal for the operation. Once the obstetrician delivers the baby's head, they then use your hands to guide them un- to guide your hands underneath the baby's shoulders and then assist you to pull that baby up and straight onto your chest. So you get that first moment, you get that first, I'm the first one to hold my baby, pull it up onto my chest and you get that immediate skin to skin, which as midwives we know is one of the best and most important things that we can give the mum and the baby is that immediate um, and uninterrupted skin to skin. I feel emotional hearing (laughs) things catch me off guard like I'm pregnant at the moment but like either way I think that is just you know hearing your experience there that's would be have been so special for you and something that you've advocated for yourself and and also for other women I'm sure 
Yeah, definitely. And the funny thing was the entire room was in tears because it was the first that mm. we've done it. Okay, I feel better about yeah. it. I've been so you get the, heavily everyone emotional gets the oxytocin about. here yeah. like, a, yeah. like a, any other birth, which is so beautiful. Yeah, and that's what it felt like. It felt like a birth. It didn't feel like an operation, which was, you know, a rigid schedule. It felt like, hey, this is my birth and this is my baby. And you had that instant connection. So I'm just thinking logistically. I had an emergency cesarean section with my second. Um, she was breached during labour, not throughout my pregnancy, so that was interesting. Um, but I remember laying down. Like, do you like someone sit you up a bit, or like, do your arms reach far enough to your belly? So a bit of both. So the screen's not there. What's really interesting is when you have the screen there, it feels like you're miles away. Yeah. When that screen is down and you look up, the obstetrician's literally standing where your like head and shoulders mm-hmm. are and you're like, oh, you're right there. Like it, you're actually really close. But they kind of, when it becomes time, the anaesthetist kind of helps you kind of lift your head so you can see a little bit better and um, the obstetrician guides your arms. So your arms do actually reach, but, yeah, they'll guide yeah, you. Yeah, I'm not sure how long I think my body is. <laughs> but I just remember laying there thinking, yeah, it feels like they're miles yeah, away. you can touch your toes. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask maybe it might be an ignorant question here and it may be, you know, uh, so varied, but did that change your postpartum at all in terms of from an emotional perspective or anything yeah, related definitely. to postpartum. It definitely did. I feel like I just felt more connected to the baby. So I just feel like that bond, yeah, the bond was there initially, immediately, and I just felt so connected to the birth and the baby and was just happy. Like it was just an overwhelming proudness and happiness that I had done this and I'd been involved and I'd taken part so yeah definitely changed my whole postpartum early period so for someone who might be listening who is um, planning a cesarean section or is interested in a maternal assisted cesarean section how do they go about that conversation with their practitioner I would go about it if you can prior to falling pregnant. So I would want, if it is something that you're interested in, you do really want to find a obstetrician who is supportive. There aren't a lot out there, but there is a growing number of supportive OBs. And I just hope, and through, I'm doing some research at the moment in um, maternal assisted and experiences of mums who are doing, um, who are having cesareans, And I just hope that with that research and with more mums wanting this option and having it and explaining how amazing it is, that it will become more popular. But if you can find someone who's supportive at the start, someone who does them, then you're going to be on the right foot. Um, If your OB hasn't done them before but he's open to it, then I would 100% recommend um, talking to them about it and explaining why and how you saw it, where you saw it, um, that sort of thing. I know all of the OBs that do them are so willing to talk to other obstetricians and to educate and say, hey, no, actually, we haven't found an increase in infection risks and we haven't found an increase in complications from it. And it actually doesn't add that much more surgical time on um, things like that. Just them talking with other health professionals that have done them can really make a difference as well. So those are the biggest concerns, risk of infection, surgical time. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah. they're the two main things that obstetricians are often concerned about. Um, but from there's obviously no research on it at the moment. Mm. So from what they've found so far, the ones that are doing it, they're saying I haven't personally found an increase in infection risks and things like that. And that's like with anything, there needs to be that movement before there's a generation of of studies or people who want to sort of investigate that a bit further. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I have one more question about that. I When I was having my cesarean, I don't know if it's um, a reaction to the anaesthetic or, or what it was a reaction to, but my arms were shaking like, during my cesarean and then in the recovery, like I was just shaking for like a good hour or so. Um, and I can imagine that that would uh, make it a little difficult to do maternal assisted cesarean section. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so it's often a reaction to the anaesthetic. So mm -hmm. it is something that they can't really get rid of. Often having warm blankets on and that kind of heaviness on your arms can settle it down. But when you are doing a maternal assist, you're kind of not focusing on what's going on and you're more using your arms and doing things with your arms. So the shakiness isn't there as much anyway because you're kind of actually moving and doing things with your arms. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it does. You were freezing, right? It, well, yeah, my whole experience was cold. <laughs> Very cold in there, but they have warm blankets. So I always say to people, if you're cold, let the anaesthetist know and they'll get you a warm blanket. So then, okay. yeah. That's a great tip, actually. They are your, the anaesthetist, oh, my anaesthetist is literally my favorite person in the entire world. And he knows, I tell him every time I see him, I just love him. Um, my anaesthetist said, three, two, one, here comes the jungle juice. <laughs> <laughs> Just for a surgery. I was like, okay, well, that's different, but kind of, kind of cool. Yeah, they're, they're often quirky and just yes. like, so funny. But, um, yeah, they're always your go-to, like, because in the operation, the obstetricians are focusing on getting the baby out. The anaesthetist is the person who's focusing on you. So I always mm. tell people and throughout my cesarean classes, my biggest thing is if you don't feel well or you are cold or you have a problem, the anaesthetist is the person to ask. They're your go-to. They're the one you tell something to and they can fix that problem. They're always your go-to. Yeah, that's a great tip. Um, could we talk a bit about recovery tips um, following a cesarean section? I would love to know um, your personal tips. I mean, you've had four, so I feel like this is, you know, you could write a whole book. <laughs> Do you have a book? I don't know. Maybe you should write a book. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. <laughs> For somebody who ha is planning um, a cesarean or potential, what would what would be a quick sort of checklist that you would say for them? Yeah, so this is exactly why I made my cesarean-specific classes, literally for this reason, because I found that so many families were going into their um, cesareans with no information on the best ways that they can heal and no preparation because it's kind of always skipped over cesareans. Um, so those mums kind of get left out. But the biggest thing you can do is start moving as soon as your legs come back. So as soon mm. as you start getting feeling in your legs, kind of moving them around, shifting your bump, your weight from each bottom cheek. Um, and then as soon as your legs are back and you feel okay, you're not in pain to get up for that first shower within 12 hours. So there's so much research about getting up for that first shower in that 12 hour period to get that blood moving back around the body, reduce the risk of blood clots, get the fluid moving back away from that cesarean wound. So reducing the risk of infection, but also for just making you feel better. Like you just, you would know after that first 
shower after a cesarean, you feel human again, you feel nice, you're like, oh, I'm not, you know, sitting in whatever I was sitting in. I just feel good. I remember after the cesarean section, I asked, this is how naive I was. My first was a home birth, so it was very different. Um, But I asked one of the midwives for some shampoo and conditioner to wash my hair because I had labored for 24 hours and then went into the C-section. So I was like not feeling glamorous. And I swear the words out of her mouth were, honey, you're not going to be able to (laughs) wash your hair. And when I had a shower, I was like, I actually can't lift my, I mean, it makes total sense, right? I just had huge surgery, but I was... I was shocked um, at initially how hard it was to just simply move. Yeah, yeah, and I think a big thing is people don't realize that it is a massive operation. You know, you they are going through seven layers to get this little baby out, and then you're sleep deprived afterwards as well, and caring for a baby. So knowing that, understanding that, and really prioritizing yourself and healing and rest is so important in that early postpartum that first few weeks is so important that Are partners and- coming to your classes sorry inter- to interrupt yeah yeah partners come which okay. is really nice too because I feel like there would be potentially a lot of naivety from them about how much the mum would be going through um, in terms of massive operation then you know expecting milk to come in recovering looking after a baby Definitely, definitely. Yeah. It is it's really good for them as well to visualize, like we kind of visualize the different layers and the different healing methods and what happens in that postpartum period. So it is definitely a great way for them to understand and know how to actually help, which is a big thing for partners, knowing what they can do to help mm. and just giving that guidance can make a big difference. Mm. I also remember after the cesarean section having um, shoulder tip pain, which is a sign of trapped gas. Um, And I hadn't had any type of, like often women we see in clinic have endometriosis and have a laparoscopy and it's quite a similar recovery to a cesarean section. Um, And I had not experienced that before. So this shoulder tip pain, I thought I was having a heart attack. It was like the most excruciating pain. I did get eventually like some bubbles like lemonade or kombucha, I can't remember, um, and some peppermint. Not champagne. I don't know who got it for me, but no one brought champagne. And then some peppermint oil or something the midwife gave me. Um, But I don't know, is there anything we're missing, anything you had experienced yourself as you went on through your cesareans? Yes. um, Trapped wind pain is one of the most uncomfortable things, as you now know. Isn't it? It's so bad. So for that, obviously, moving around is really good. Lots and lots of water is good for that as well to kind of start getting the systems all working again. But chewing gum, I always tell people when you get back from theatre, start chewing gum every day until you've started farting because that is the best way to get everything moving and and get it out. That is such a good tip and I'm so glad I asked the question. You know, like we see how much babies are in pain when they've got like trapped wind. It's like same as adults. You just got to get it out. Yeah, and that chewing, sucking motion is what's going to get it moving. Yeah, okay, burping, farting, yep, keep chewing gum until that happens. Glamorous. So, yeah, the whole thing is so glamorous. And supporting your abdominal muscles is really important too. So, you know, your postpartum compression shorts 
are really good for helping to hold those muscles together, um, but also to stop you from using your abdominal muscles as much as you can. So we want to avoid any kind of sit-up motions on our abdominal muscles because they have been separated during that operation and we need to allow them time to heal. So any time that you're getting out of bed, those kind of log roll to the side, push-ups, um, is way better than trying to sit up using our abdominal muscles. Do you have a favorite brand of postpartum tights or? I do. Yeah. Um, the RY group is my absolute favorite. They're TGA approved, so they're yeah. proper medical compression um, and they're not tight and uncomfortable. So when I put them on after birth, I put them on and I was like, oh, I actually feel supported. Mm. And a few other brands that I tried, I put on and went, oh my God, I think I'm going to throw up. They're so tight. So RY, is that the brand name? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. I think everyone likes a word of mouth referral yeah, for those sorts of things. I'm just picturing you with three children and a newborn, like just trying to take it slow and not use your abdominal muscles. And I have one question. How did you, you might, you know, you must have lent on your partner a bit. He, he must have um, gotten used to his role by the fourth. Yes. Yeah. So I had family being so helpful. So my partner um, had the first, I want to say four weeks, it could have been a bit longer, but it was at least that first four weeks off, which meant that I didn't have to do any lifting, any twisting, any carrying of any other children or bags or school drop-offs and all those things. Um, and then when he went back and whilst he was off as well, we had so much help from family and friends. So my mum and dad, his mum and dad, my sister, his sister, everyone and my brother all really chipped in in that time, which I think is so important um, to have that support network, whether that's friends, family, whether that's, you know, a doula that can help you. But it is so important to have that support to be able to allow you that time to heal. Yeah, absolutely. Because it just sets up your motherhood sets up your postpartum and if you can heal properly it has systemic effects mentally you feel better and you know your whole family benefits from that can we shift gear a bit and talk about VBACs vaginal birth after cesarean this is probably more of a personal question because I'm eager for a VBAC I'm actually eager for a VBAC at home I think that's called something else home back I don't know it's an extra it's, it's an extra letter I think it's H-back, home birth after cesarean. Okay. Um, but I wanted to know the likelihood of a successful VBAC after cesarean, after one cesarean, after two cesareans. I mean, at what, at what point do they not let you do a vaginal birth after cesarean? Controversial. No. Um, so the success rates really vary. So when we look at success rates across Australia, the rates vary from 29% to 82%. So it's like a massive range. And I think that the rate, the rate ranges so much because it's so dependent on situations. So it really depends on what happened last time, um, why the cesarean was needed. You know, was it a cesarean like yours for breach or was it a cesarean where you got to three centimetres or four centimetres in labour and then didn't dilate any further than that. You know, what was the reason for the cesarean really accounts for the success rates. But also the percentage of women in Australia attempting vaginal births after cesareans is still so low. So where we sit at about 6% in private hospitals and about 19% in um, public hospitals. So it's still quite a low rate of people attempting them, which is 
you know, again, it's it's sad because it is such a safe and it is a great option for those that want it. But at the same time, you know, if someone has had a traumatic birth or they've really enjoyed the cesarean and they want that option, then that's great on that hand as well, that they have that choice there too. Yeah, interesting. How do we sit in comparison to other countries around the world? Do you know? Where it, it depends what country. So some countries were a lot higher um, mm. and then other countries like Sweden and things are well overtaking us. So we, in 2015, um, Australia wanted to be at around a 50% VBAC rate, um, but we obviously haven't got there yet. So hopefully there are some amazing midwives like Hazel Keedle. Um, she is absolutely beautiful and she has written a book on vaginal birth after cesareans and really is researching into it to try and help create awareness for, for them as well. So it's a great resource for anyone looking to attempt. Is that something that you would support your clients with or are you mainly supporting people who um, have the planned cesareans or... No, I definitely, I, my biggest thing is I support whatever you want. So if you want to walk in and have an epidural, I'll hundred percent support that. If you want to walk in and have a vaginal birth with no drugs at all, nothing, you don't even want me to talk about them. I'm going to hundred percent support that too. So I'm the only thing I care about is that you feel safe, supported, and you can make that choice. So if, yeah, if someone wants a cesarean, I'm 100% for it. If someone wants to try a VBAC, I'm 100% for it. I think it's a really safe option. Um, but everyone also has a different risk, a taste for risk, shall we say. So everyone mm. will take on different risks. So the main concern with a vaginal birth after cesarean is the risk of that uterine scar coming apart. So uterine scar rupture, which sits at about 0.5%. So one in 200 women will have one in labor. So it is quite a low rate in my eyes but in someone else's eyes that might be too much of a risk for them to want to take on mm, and I think that's such a good point I think whenever heading into labor and birth the best position to be in is one where you feel safe and educated and powerful because birth can be so powerful no matter how baby comes and I think that's just such such a good point because you can have a beautiful cesarean as you've shared and you can have a beautiful VBAC and a beautiful home birth. I think it's just a matter of getting you right mentally, which is the beauty of classes like you do. Yeah, classes are so important. And I think a lot of people think I'm just going to wing it um, and it's just not helpful when you get in there and you're presented with options or different things that come up and you don't know what the best thing to do or how to advocate for yourself in those situations. Yeah. Lauren, do you mind talking a little bit about your classes in terms of when do you like to see um, a pregnant person or they're with their partners? Talk us, a, talk us through that pregnancy and then how you'd support them postpartum. This is a personal question. Like, I don't know how to class yet, just wondering. Uh. No, I sometimes feel like I'm, and bring it back to me, uh, but I just mean that sometimes I feel like I'm in this headspace of preparing for birth like a test and how much is intuitive and how much is like, you know, research. And I, I'm try I guess I'm personally trying to find this nice balance, but I want to know what your classes involve. Yeah, so I recommend coming around that sort of 30 to 34-week mark just because I think it gives you enough time to do all of the preparation stuff that we talk about, um, but also you've got enough time that it 
still fresh in your mind before the baby comes. So that's kind of my sweet spot. But I always say education at any point is valuable. So anytime that people want to come, you know, whether that's earlier on or later, later on, they're more than welcome to come. Um, Partners are highly encouraged. I really, really encourage partners to come because we place such a strong focus on their importance, especially in cesareans and vaginal births after cesareans. Their role is through the roof important um, for supporting and advocating and just really encouraging her to trust herself and trust her body. Yeah, nice. And I think too, particularly when um, someone describes their birth as traumatic or perhaps they didn't have a nice experience but are pregnant again and having another baby, Obviously, classes can be quite great at, you know, getting you in the right headspace and equipped with the right tools in your toolbox for both you and your partner. Do you have any other advice for people heading into another pregnancy who perhaps describe their first or previous as traumatic? Yeah, definitely. The biggest thing that I think that people should do is unpack that previous birth. So whether that's depending on, you know, how you had that baby. So whether that was, you know, a private midwife, a private obstetrician or in the public hospital, requesting your notes, asking someone to go through them with you and explain what happened, explain why, I think is one of the most valuable things that you can do. Understanding where things may have gone wrong, were there things that you could have done in that situation to try and turn it around or did you do everything that you possibly can and you can't do anything differently next time? Things like that can just really change your mindset, help you understand and help you feel a little bit more at peace. And there obviously are birth trauma um, counsellors that you can talk to as well. I think just unpacking it and talking about it is the best thing that we can do and then figuring out what we want to do next time. So whether that's, you know, another vaginal birth or an elective cesarean or a VBAC or whatever it is that will help you feel like you've achieved what you want to achieve and the birth that you want to have, or at least, you know, say, well, I gave it a go and it didn't work for me. And I'm happy with how things ended this time and that sort of thing. I guess a common theme through this conversation that we're having is um, patient-centred in terms of making sure that regardless of who your health practitioner is or regardless of how you're going to birth, if you have that rapport with somebody or if you're educated and feel comfortable in their support, that's going to be the biggest determinant of, of your birth outcomes. Yeah. yeah. So support is one of the best things that we can have for birth. So having that supportive health team and knowing that, hey, actually, if I don't feel supported, I can swap at any point of any pregnancy. If you don't feel safe, comfortable, supported, heard by the person looking after you, swap. Because this is your birth and this is your journey and you are the one that is going to have to deal with however it ends up and think about how it ends up. So if you don't feel safe and supported in pregnancy, swap at any mm. point and always ask for someone else or ask those questions and advocate for yourself. It's a great piece of advice. I have one more question for you. I would want to know if you had one piece of information that you wish all women knew heading into labour, birth and, and postpartum, what would it be? I'm going to answer it in two parts. So Great, love that. Two answers, but I'm going to pretend it's one. Um, <laughs> number one is that this is your birth and there is no such thing as not allowed. 
So there are hospital policies, there are midwife policies, but at the end of the day, it's your birth, it's your choice, and you can say yes or no to absolutely anything in your pregnancy birth. They may make you sign a piece of paper saying, you know, that you're going against hospital policy, but that they can't say no to anything because it's your choice. And as long as you're educated, in control and comfortable, then you should be making those choices that suit you and your family, which follows into the fact that nothing in pregnancy, birth and postpartum is black and white. Everything is grey. We live in the grey as midwives. Nothing is black and white. So what your grey T-shirt. Yes. <laughs> Perfectly. Um, but, yeah, so what's being recommended as an option for you may not suit you and it may not suit your family, your goals, your wishes, your life experience that you bring into that situation. So always asking questions, making sure you know what's being offered, why, what the risks first benefits are so that you can make those informed decisions for what suits you and what you're going to be happy with moving forward. Yeah, I love that. Power to the people. Power to the people. (laughs) Thank you so much for this opening up this conversation. I'm sure our listeners would be very curious as to where they can find you. Can you do a little plug? (laughs) Sure. So you can find me at on Instagram at one mama midwife, or you can find my website if you're wanting to book into any classes. So it's just www.onemamamidwife.com. I do also, as I said, I am studying at the moment experiences of women and families who have gone through cesarean. So if you have gone through a cesarean and you wanted to submit your um, experience to help us learn better and hopefully help us improve these experiences, we'd, I'd love that as well. So um, I'll give you guys the link if you can put it in. Yeah, there. definitely. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, perfect. Uh, for a mum of four, you are impressive, your capacity. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been so great. Thank you. It's been amazing. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, leave us a review and follow us on socials. We'd love to hear from you.